you know, it's such a blessing to get to connect, even if we can't be together physically. And I'm getting kind of tired of it, i got to admit. Joe and Judy Angelo stopped by our house last night and stayed six feet away, but they delivered some wonderful cookies to us, and they were great. Uh, oops, I might have gotten them in trouble. Now you might be looking for your cookies too, but it was great to see them. I just, I thought, man, I miss seeing you guys. And I'm looking forward to the day that we can all be together, give each other a big hug, encourage one another, worship with one another. That's going to be a glorious day. You know, it's, it's been such an interesting time to have a worldwide pandemic. Um, I guess a pandemic would make any time interesting. My wife tells me that saying the phrase worldwide pandemic is redundant. That the very definition of pandemic is that it's worldwide. But I figure I'm in good company. We Americans, we use redundant expressions all the time. Like uphill climb or uh, advance warning. What about unexpected surprise or free gift? Uh, I don't think I'd want a gift that's not free. What about PIN number? By the way, the N stands for number or ATM machine. The M stands for machine. So we like redundancy. It's blatantly obvious. There you go. I just gave you another one. Did you, did you notice that redundancy? That's, that's a free gift. Probably because it makes us sound smarter. That's why we use that. And after we hear all the expert voices clamoring for our attention, I think we could use just a little more smart, at least on the airwaves today. The end result, oh, there's another redundancy. The end result of what I'm trying to say is that it's surreal to have all of this going on right in the middle of the Christian season of Lent, Holy Week, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. All of this going on right here in the middle of Easter season. That's right. It's Easter season. It's not just one day of the year. Easter is a season. Some people call it Easter tide. It's a 50-day period between Easter and Pentecost. And we do well to not move too quickly from that place. Father Ron Rawheiser says our culture knows how to anticipate an event, but we don't know how to sustain it. And I think that's true. We all look forward towards what's going to happen, but it's almost like the moment that it does, we quickly move on to the next thing. I believe God wants us to sit right here in the middle of resurrection life, right in the middle of the power of his resurrection. I'm hoping that we as a spiritual community, even as we're quarantined in our homes, will do a better job of living in this resurrection life. That's why I love what the family shared with us today about what that scripture means, that the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead would quicken us into life. It's meant for us that we'll be more captivated by something more than just a nostalgic story that generates good vibes and goosebumps, but instead will be changed by the weightiness of his atoning work 
on the cross and the glory of this game-changing event, his resurrection from the tomb. And so that's what I want us to do over these next 40 days, the next five Sundays, uh, as we look towards the ascension moment of Jesus to the Father, and then we look even beyond that 10 more days to the point of Pentecost, I want us to look at some of the deeper interactions that Jesus, the resurrected one, had with his disciples. If you have your Bible, you may want to take it out or your device and turn with me to John 20. We'll be getting there in just a few moments. It's a good thing to be opening the Bible even when we're sitting in front of a computer screen. And here's what my challenge would be to you over the next number of weeks. Take these two chapters, John 20 and 21, and study them. Read them. Read them several times over the course of these next 40 days. Lead, let the Holy Spirit lead you into what he's saying to you. But first, before I get there, I want us to try to see if we can just stop for a moment and feel exactly what the disciples must have been feeling in those days. I think it's hard for me to fathom, to put myself in their shoes, but I, I really want us to try to understand the emotion of what they were feeling. It, it was complete upheaval. I mean, they their lives had been turned upside down. They had left everything to follow Jesus, their loved ones. They'd left their possessions. They'd left their livelihoods. And now the one they had pinned their hopes on, he was dead, executed, like a common criminal, and they had watched the Jerusalem crowd turn on him so ferociously. And now they were scared and they were forced into hiding for fear that those crowds would do the same thing to them. And they had, they'd scattered like sheep when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. And a scared Peter even had to resort to lying that he even knew Jesus at all just to get them off his back. So much shock. So much fear and disbelief and then grief must have overtaken them. What a dreadful experience. Everything was so dark, so hopeless. That is until early Sunday morning when some of the disciples went to the tomb and found it was empty and an angel told them that he had risen. And as they hurried off to spread the news, suddenly Jesus met them. We'll get to John in just a moment, but this is what Matthew said. Matthew 28, 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. You know those times when you have emotions that are opposite of each other, but they're both active at the same time? It's this great fear and this great joy all at the same time. They were, they were amazed. They were shocked, and they ran to tell the disciples. And then verse 9 says, Behold, Jesus met them. Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Man, I, I just love the way Jesus does things. That, that salutation, greetings, I know we might think it sounds a little cheesy. Greetings. But, but actually, it was, a, it was a powerful greeting for Jesus to give. It's the Greek word karo, and we've looked at it before. It does mean to greet someone, to hail someone, but it also means to rejoice, to be glad, to be happy. 
And I especially love the phrase that is used right before that greeting when it says, Jesus met them. As if he was looking for them. Here they've come to search for his body, but he's alive and he's searching for them. And he's still doing that today. The resurrected Jesus is still coming to meet us, to help us, to assure us of his presence, to be with us. These disciples were never the same after this meeting. And the reality is that same thing is true for us. When we meet him, the one who comes to meet with us, we're never the same. Here in Matthew's account, it's two women who first encountered the risen Jesus, Mary Magdalene and someone called the other Mary. There's a, by the way, there's a lot of Marys who follow Jesus. If you, don't, if you haven't figured that out, that's true. It's sort of like being um, Mike Sweeney in our church. There's more than one of them in our church, so if you're going to text one of them, make sure you've got the right number. Anyway, Mary Magdalene is an incredible follower of Jesus. And while there's been a lot of conjecture and innuendo attributed to her, the truth is, along with John, Mary Magdalene may be one of the most faithful disciples of Jesus during these days of such horror and suffering and difficulty. She was Galilean, which is where Jesus started his ministry. She was probably from the town of Magdala, which is on the west bank of the Sea of Galilee. And while Magdala was known as a city of prostitution, we're not certain if that's what Mary was, though a lot of people speculate that she was a prostitute. What we do know is this, that Jesus had radically changed her life. He had delivered her from seven demons. And also, she was a woman of significance. Means. Now, again, we're going to get to John 20, I promise you. But before we do, look at Luke 8, verse 1, where we hear about Mary Magdalene. Soon afterward, he came or he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, listen to this, who provided for them out of their means. These women were bankrolling the ministry of Jesus. It, it's clear that throughout Jesus' ministry, Mary was not only a supporter, she was a faithful disciple. She was the one of few who, who did not flee when he was arrested and when he suffered. She didn't run. She was there at the foot of the cross. And again, on early Sunday morning, she was going to the team while all the rest of them were hiding. She was going to tend to her Lord. Now, let's look at that story in John 20, verse 11. Here's what John has to say. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now, just for a moment, it's an interesting symbolism to see two angels sitting, one at the head and one at the feet of where Jesus had been laid. It's almost, think of the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant, 
that were overlooking with their wings upon the mercy seat. You can see the symbolism of these two angelic beings there guarding over the place where mercy had been purchased for every one of us. And so they said, verse 13, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where he, you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and recognized him and said in Aramaic, her native tongue, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. That's good news. And to my God and your God. That's more good news. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. You know, this story never loses its luster for me. Every time I read it, I am drawn in deeply. I want to feel what she was feeling. You feel the emotion there, the shock and the, and the sadness and the grief. And then you almost feel just palpably the surprise and the renewed hope. This faithful follower of Jesus, Mary, who had been with him through so many of the moments of his ministry, who had been at the foot of the cross as he hung upon it and died, who has hardly slept since they helped lay his body into Joseph's tomb. This Mary is waiting for the first glimmer of light so that she can go and properly tend to her master. But she's, she's so overtaken by grief that even the appearance of two angels don't even seem to phase her. I mean, angels show up, people get afraid. Mary Magdalene is so sorrowful and so stricken with grief, it doesn't even phase her that these are angels. And then Jesus himself shows up, and she can't see him clearly because she's still seen through the eyes of grief. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's a gardener, a groundskeeper, and she begs, where have you placed him? I'll tend to him. I'll go take care of him. You know, it's debilitating what deep sorrow can do to us. It clouds our perspective. It colors the way we see things. It distorts our view. And yet, Jesus doesn't get on us for grieving. He doesn't chastise us when we're sad or, or chide us when we are in sorrow. What Jesus does when we're stricken like this is he shows up and calls our name. You caught that, right? You, you got it. I, I know you did. What broke through Mary's grief and captured her attention was when Jesus said, Mary. He called her by name. Jesus reveals himself to Mary right in the midst of her grief-stricken blindness, and he calls her name. He's the good shepherd who calls his own sheep by their name, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. This finally breaks through her 
tomorrow. And, and Jesus meets her and calls her by name. Listen, over the next four Sundays, we're going to look at how the resurrected Jesus came back to meet his disciples. He met them. How he met his disciples, met them right where they were. And even as the glorified and risen Lord, Jesus still understands our weaknesses, and he is still acquainted with our grief. For Mary, her faith wasn't weakened by her sorrow to the point that Jesus wouldn't come meet her. And for those disciples that we'll see about next week, their faith may have been weakened by their fear, but Jesus still met them. And for Thomas, that we'll talk about the week after, his faith seemed to be weakened by doubt and skepticism. But Jesus still met him. And for Peter, that we'll ultimately talk about, whose faith was definitely weakened by his own failure, Jesus still met him. It doesn't matter what it is that was weakened your faith today. The uncertainty surrounding our world the concern for our health, how we're going to pay our bills, how we're going to care for our loved ones, how we're going to effectively love our neighbors as Jesus has called us to. Even in the midst of all that we're in, Jesus still comes to meet with us and he still calls us by our name. The resurrected Jesus. The good news is this. He is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and he knows your name. He's calling it. Do you hear him? Why don't you open the door? Let his voice cut through your sorrow, your fear, your doubt, your failure. Let him say your name in such a way that you begin to realize his resurrection power is available to heal your heart to give you courage for today and to cause you to walk in the newness of life. I'm going to ask my wife to come back and join me. And we're going to pray for you just like we did last week and ask the Lord to come and be near to you, to say your name, to hear him as he's calling you and to let the resurrection power let you walk in the newness of life. I have a verse that I've been focusing on this week that I want to share with you. It's a few verses out of Isaiah 43. The Lord who created you says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the high waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior, because you are precious to me, and I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. Besides me, there is no Savior. There is none who can deliver from my hand, and when I work, no one can take it back. Yes. I am the Lord your Holy One, the creator, your king. Behold, I am doing a new thing. I will make a way for you. I am he who blots out all transgressions for my own sake 
and I will not remember your Amen. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that these things are true of you. And then it doesn't matter what we think is true about us. It doesn't matter what the facts are in our lives that seem to define us or constrain us or discourage and depress us. The only truth that matters is the truth of who you are. Yes. By the Holy Spirit, you can make that truth live in us. It's the gift of faith that comes from you, and it is a free gift. Yes, yes it is. It's a gift we didn't pay the price for, Father. That's right. right. You paid the price. Yes. So that we could believe that you are true, and all men are liars. Yes. Father, I ask today that by the Holy Spirit, you would move in each heart who hears today, that you would move on us to believe. Mm to believe that you are everything you've promised, that you do love us, that we are precious to you, and that you are with us to overcome so that nothing can overwhelm us. Mm. We are hidden in Christ in you. So, Father, give us the gift of belief. Yes. Cause our faith to rise. Help us say no to discouragement, to depression, to a sorrow that is debilitating. Mm. Thank you for the power of belief. We do receive it today, Father. Yes, Lord. Lord, we pray for anyone today that is in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of such difficult grief, for anyone who is fearful, anyone who's doubtful, anyone who's looking at their own failures and i pray that the lord the same risen jesus who spoke to mary and called her by name would speak right now through your spirit lord and call our names we want to hear you say our name and we want to be your people your sheep who know your voice i pray lord that that one reality would shift every thought in our minds, shift all of our circumstances to line back under the authority and power of God, and that we would not be victims of our circumstances, but we would be more than conquerors through him who loved us and called us into this marvelous light. Yes. I pray, Lord, that those that are listening and those that we're loving on and reaching out to and extending ourselves to would know this day the power of your resurrection, Mm. that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead would quicken them in their bodies and in their emotions and in their minds that they would live in the newness of life. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you.